Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. So, hey crew, new year, new decade. Let's have some new Pure Dog Talk promos while we're at it, shall we? Alright. Our patrons group continues to grow and thrive. It's like the NPR of dogdom. It's so cool. And Pure Dog Talk offers you, my loyal listeners, an opportunity to get in on the fun. Pure Dog Talk patrons are invited to join a closed Facebook chat group just for you. And I promise you, no drama mamas, no keyboard warriors, just fabulous, supportive, pure dog talk fans. That's it. Each month, I pick a photo submitted by our patrons group to be the cover image on the Facebook page. You guys have seen it. And anybody with a quick question gets immediate feedback from moi personally, as well as input from the array of patron group members. Pretty fun. The patrons group also gets first dibs on podcast topic suggestions. So if you have something you want to hear about, that's a good way to do it. And to celebrate the new year, I'm adding a whole new technological challenge to my life. Oh my God. I will be hosting Facebook live discussions for patrons only on the final Monday of each month from 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific time zone. Y'all join us from wherever you are, but that's when they'll be. Just a few of our planned topics of conversation include advertising on a shoestring budget. (laughs) Yeah, trust me, we can talk about that. Campaigning a special just for runner handlers. Problem solving the stack. Tricks of the trade for grooming. Like, what products do I like or anybody else like? Open mic, Q&As, all that kind of stuff. What you guys need to know is that the generosity of Pure Dog Talk's patrons is literally what keeps the MP3s running here. The money is set aside exclusively for overhead and operational expenses. That's it. Now, I'm incredibly grateful to our corporate sponsors. You have no idea. They have the dedication to purebred dogs and the resources to ensure that Pure Dog Talk remains a powerful voice for purebred dogs. That you guys, y'all believed in this mission and you've supported it from the beginning. You are the heart and soul of my crusade to provide all purebred dog lovers a constantly growing, challenging treasure trove of knowledge in a 21st century format. Like a So... Just click the Be My Patron on Podbean button on the website. It's quick, it's easy, it's secure. And I hope to see all of you on the next Facebook Live chat. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I am super excited because we have today a returning from afar guest, one of our very earliest guests. (laughs) On Pure Dog Talk was Gail Watkins, the founder of Avidog, and just a really great voice of education and knowledge in this sport. 
And I just wanted to kind of bring that forward. We're going to link you to some of those old podcasts that we did with Gail, but I really just wanted to have a chance to visit with her some more and share more about her story because I think sometimes it gets lost. So Gail, welcome. Hi, Laura. I'm so glad to talk to you and glad to be back on Pure Dog Talk. Yay. I just love it. So I want you to give us the 411, like how you wound up in this crazy spot and how you wound up in purebred dogs and why you started have a dog and all the stuff. I was telling you this just a minute ago. I listened to those podcasts and I've been breeding dogs like since I was a kid with my family. And the information that you provided made me change things about how I whelp puppies and raise them. So I think it's really important for people to hear this and understand the background that goes with it. Terrific. Gosh. Well, that's going to take me back a really long way because as I was thinking about our interview, I realized I've been in purebred dogs since I was four. Perfect. And that's not because my parents bred, but because they got me a purebred dog when I was four years old. I had him till I was 21. Oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and embarrassing to say he ate Gaines burgers for 17 years and <laughs> lived that long. <laughs> and I was without a dog for two years, and I graduated from college, joined the Army, and got myself a dog. I knew from the very beginning that I wanted to be a dog breeder. I wasn't one of the people that sort of comes in after having a pet. Right. Initially, I wanted to breed horses, Mm. and that was not very compatible with being an army officer. Yeah. And I couldn't realize that, but my husband did, then boyfriend, (laughs) now husband. He said, well, why don't we go to a dog show? There's a dog show this weekend, and it just happened to be the Del Monte Kennel Club at Pebble Beach, one of Uh, the most beautiful shows. Yes. Yes. And... There was an obedience demonstration. So we were walking around looking at the breeds. I didn't know much about the breed I wanted. And there was this wonderful, beautiful gold dog with this woman that he clearly was devoted to. And they were putting on an obedience demonstration. And that happened to be Susie Bluford and her great champion, Arch Streaker, first dog I bred to. Yeah. And I fell in love with the breed that day. And I have not been without a golden retriever since then. Wow. So that was my introduction to Goldens, but obviously I'd been in dogs and I had wanted to breed either horses or dogs. And so came to it and I had done competitive riding that was focused on multipurpose horses. Mm -hmm. And so I knew I wanted to breed multipurpose dogs. And so initially at that time, that was only field confirmation and obedience. Right. So I did all of those things with my dogs and that's what I was trying to breed. I was trying to breed the streakers of the world, the champion arches and things like that. Mm -hmm. And gosh, since then, I think we have 160 championships on our dogs. And I think the most amazing thing for me is I've competed in, oh my gosh, confirmation, obedience, field tracking, agility, all of those things. But what has been my real love in the sport are my buyers and owners. Right. They're just the most amazing people. And I could never have been as successful as they are at competing and showing. Well, there's no way, right? Like we can't, we can't do all the stuff. You know, I've got two people that have some of the, literally the top agility dogs in the breed ever. I have no idea. I've never been in an agility ring, have no desire to be in agility. <laughs> so those people are the ones who make it so we can 
be able to have our dogs be out there. And I think they are incredibly important. Oh, they're just absolutely some of my favorite people in the world. And you're right, their skill set so far surpasses me. I'm good at raising puppies, and I think I'm pretty good at matching puppies to homes. Right. Beyond that, I'm never going to have a champion tracker. I'm never going to have a national agility championships or win the rally nationals that my owners have. Right. And so I see myself as the raw material creator and the nurturer, you know, the person that Mm -hmm. helps them when they're having problems or is the shoulder to lean on and an ear to gab into when there are issues. 24-7 tech support, right? (laughs) That's a great way to look at it. Absolutely. That is my newest thing because in today's society, Gail, it helps people understand what we mean. You know, like we're not right. trying to run your life or own your dog. We're trying to help you, right? This is exactly. 24-7 yep. tech support. Absolutely. From the day they're born yeah. until the day they pass. That's right. And that's the job of a breeder. And it's a great job. It's a wearing job. but It's a great job. It really is. So still breeding, you know, 41 years later, I've had the chance to breed all over the United States and in Europe because of the Army, you know, stationed in so many places. I just kept picking up the kennel, the kennel as I do air quotes, because the kennel was pretty much our dining room in every set of (laughs) Army quarters that we had. I think it's interesting (laughs) that you did that in the military. I don't know anybody else that actually was breeding dogs while traipsing all around in the military. I think that's pretty impressive by itself. All over the world. I know Looking back, my husband and I just look at each other and say, well, we were young and foolish. We didn't know. We didn't know you couldn't do that. that. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, obviously, I work with a lot of breeders today and they're like, well, I work full time. I don't know how to do this. And I say, well, I was an army officer working very full time. And we figured it out that we had a great community and we're able to use friends and give guidance, Mm -hmm. tell people what to look for. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it worked. Um, It's nice to now no longer be moving around the world. I will confess that that's made things a little bit easier. So have just kept refining and having fun as we go. And that sort of segued into Avidog, right? It did. So Avidog's an interesting creation story from my perspective. Right. I'm a scientist by training. So I was a scientist in the army. I have a biology and genetics undergraduate degree. So I've Mm. always sort of approached the world as a scientist. So I took all the seminars that I could find on dog breeding, but I reached a point where I was missing breedings and natural breedings. Mm. And I was missing breedings for bad timing or sterile stud dogs, mm-hmm. or we couldn't get a breeding and the vet didn't know how to do an AI. Mm-hmm. And it was just these crazy situations. And I thought there's just got to be a better way. I mean, we can breed. I worked with dairymen and I know we can breed <laughs> cows really well. Right. Why are we struggling so much with dogs? So I started digging into it. I started digging into that. And then I started digging into the genetics of diseases. Mm. I mean, I did things like I picked up the phone and called Malcolm Willis, the (laughs) great geneticist in the UK. I'm like, I can't figure out how to solve this problem. Malcolm was wonderful. Called Jerry Bell, Mark Ness, all these geneticists. And I'm thinking, why isn't this information available to breeders? 
Mm-hmm. Why is each individual breeder having to figure these things out on their own? So I started by helping other breeders. People would call me after I figured out how to do mm-hmm. AIs or mm-hmm. smears. And then I couldn't help everybody. I was still working at the time. And so I wrote a book. I didn't even publish it. I just gave it to people. But I was updating it like every three months, every time a new research paper would come out. Right. I mean, you know, Laura, if you look at the last 15 years, how much more we know about breeding dogs now. Right. Just Unbelievable. You just said smears. And I'm thinking back to when we did smears with the clumbers, for God's sake. I'm like, hi, progesterone timing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny, you know, I did smears, then I went away from smears, and now they're back again. I'll tell you why in a minute. But Very cool. So it went from a book that I was updating every three months, and that just became completely unmanageable. So Mm. then I made an online course, and I thought, this needs to be available to all breeders. Not my course, but the knowledge. Right. The information about how do you get a bitch pregnant? How do you tell if a stud dog is fertile? How do you read those horrible semen reports that Mm -hmm. you get and you're trying to figure out, is this going to work? Is this not going to (laughs) work? Right. And then obviously my real passion, raising puppies and matching them to homes, evaluating them and matching them. Right. So I went from that one book that we all passed around to now, I think we're over 20 courses And the classes are everything from how to photograph your litter to how to raise a litter to how to evaluate puppies and match them to their homes and really everything in between. And as I said, we will include links to those four episodes you did for us early on because just fabulous information and still some of our most popular episodes. But as we have grown, as Pure Dog Talk has grown and Avadog has grown, we have had to bump some of those early episodes off our RSS feed. So it's harder to find. So I try to make sure to bring them forward for people to track down, right? Yeah, good. Because I don't have copies of those. You guys are the only ones with copies there. And that was on what vaccinations and potty training. It was everything. It was like the full. Yeah, traction. Like the, yeah, traction. and there was a nomograph and some of the stuff that I remember, I know I totally changed my puppy protocol because of it was temperature. And keeping the puppies close right. to the dam. That piece right. is the one I remember most clearly because I was one of those people with a heat lamp literally until I listened to that episode. I'm like, okay, I'm changing that. And it worked. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. You know, we put heat on some of these breeds and mom doesn't want to be in the box and right. we think we have bad mothers and really we're just cooking them. Right. They don't need to be that hot. Well, it's such a small thing we can do to benefit moms and pups. It was like, you know, a light bulb thing. Now, I will say, I just went through a litter from hell where mom wouldn't take the puppies. She had to have a intestinal blockage and a C-section the same time. And by the time she was aware, puppies were like squirrels. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I've seen that look before. Yes. (laughs) And we actually lost a couple from whether it was, you know, a herpes from the stress or a infection that passed the placenta. I don't really know. But I had one puppy that I saved his life four different times and he had to be kept at the full hundred degrees. For the first three weeks, I mean, like three weeks, you know, and it was just like, wow, really the differences that you learn as you go trying to do this is pretty amazing. 
It is. And it's one of the benefits, I think, of programs like Avidog, where we have a community that has a basic knowledge that everybody shares. And then what they bring to the table are all their individual experiences. Because people will say to me, and I'm sure you've gotten that question, well, have you had X happen? Yes. (laughs) And I always say, if not, not yet. Yeah. I'm going to. If you breed long enough, you'll have you're going to have it all. Well, and understand, my family started in Clumber Spaniels. So you probably yeah. have, right, exactly. Okay, laugh. So let's put I it. To, okay, but let easy. me tell you, not everyone on the planet has had the experience of having C-sections done under morphine, which we did oh, our gosh, earliest C-sections that way. Yeah. Remember, I'm sure you knew Bats Young. Uh, yep. That was her protocol. So anyway, I love Avidog. Sorry, random old dog breeders talking. <laughs> So I think this is a good segue because it's kind of a hot topic right now, right? This whole way to reach out to John Q. Public with all of this knowledge and the 24-7 tech support and all of the things that we do. And John Q. Public frantically looking to replace, what is it estimated, some 9 million replacement dogs a year. Yep. And how do we do that? And so there's been this like explosion in the last few years of various and sundry puppy finder this and puppy valet that and God only knows. Yeah. (laughs) So one of the ones that has come along, you have aligned yourself with. And I'm really curious and I want my listeners to hear why, because I respect you and I respect your knowledge and I want to hear what you think. Sure. And we're talking about good dog. Exactly. Good dog. Yes. So... Good Dog was a funny grieving story when I was introduced to them. I'll just tell the story again. Some of you have probably heard it, but Good Dog, I didn't have any idea who they were. And they started reaching out to Avidog Associates. So we have a list of Avidog breeders who have passed certain criteria and are listed on our website as Avidog Associate breeders. And these people started reaching out to them and the Avidog members came in and said, who the heck is Good Dog? So I have no idea. I go online and I look up Good Dog and there is this truly pitiful webpage, <laughs> just ghastly webpage. And it tells us nothing. You know, we're really nice people who love dogs mm-hmm. and we want to mm-hmm. help people find dogs. So, mm-hmm. of course, I know what you would think. I know what right. I thought. Right. And that was, this is an animal rights Right. Organization that is trying to find breeders. Mm -hmm. So I send them a scathing email (laughs) and tell them to back off. And I get a pretty quick reply. And it's an introduction to this guy named Josh. And he said, we'd love to have a phone call with you. I'm like, oh, well, I am just going to tell them. What to do? So I greeted this phone call. And as my husband said, I kind of went all colonel on them. Yes. All army colonel. Yes. And they listened. I did the same thing, to be perfectly honest. I know. I think they have heard it before. Yeah. I think I might have been one of the first a couple of years ago. So on that call, I met Josh and Lauren and Kat and explained to me what they were doing. I still think this is an animal rights organization. Right. Right. But we still had a house in New York and we were on our way to New York. And I said, well, let me come to your offices then. Because that would tell me a lot Mm -hmm. if I could get into their offices. Mm -hmm. So I went up and met with them and it was a challenging meeting. But 
I realized as I was sitting there that the likelihood that this was an animal rights organization was slim to none since I'm sitting in the office of one of their angel investors. Mm. And so we started this conversation and over the ensuing six months, the next six months at that point, I really fell in love with the team. They were, and they admit to it today, really unknowledgeable about breeding Mm -hmm. and desperate to understand breeding. Mm -hmm. They understood the puppy buyer side of the house. So why did I align with Good Dog, not, you know, Puppy Spot or any of the other organizations out there? Because Good Dog wasn't really trying to be a puppy finder. Yes, they want to end up matching people with breeders, but what they wanted more was to find a way to support and engage good breeders and focus on the breeder side of the house, less on the buyer side of the house. Mm -hmm. And that rang very true to me. Mm -hmm. I have always been tremendously pro-breeder and felt that we needed someone, someone to defend us against the animal rights movement. And frankly, you know, I watched for 20 years as the animal rights movement got stronger and stronger and stronger, and no one was really stepping up in a big way to not just defend us in court, you know, case by case, but to stand up and put up billboards and say, dog breeders are a gift to the world. Dog breeders bring so much to society and dog breeders touch all of us. Those 70 million dogs in the United States touch every American, every Canadian. And so I was really focused on looking for some place that was pro-breeder and honestly, Laura, had money to be able to back this up. Right. Because I have a charity. We don't have any money. You know, we're begging $25 at a time. Yeah. We do health research. And so it's going to take, you look at what PETA has, you look at what HSUS Mm -hmm. has, it's going to take a lot of money to fight us. And I know that the purebred dog versus mixed breed dog debate has been... Right. You're anticipating my question because you know, (laughs) you and I both have been at this long enough. We know that the purebred hobby breeders, we tend to eat our own. And it's one of the things that I really admire most about Patty Strand, National Animal Interest Alliance, that they support the concept of every dog breeder being able to preserve their right to breed dogs. Basic bottom line. Right. And so nonetheless, we all know that the hobby breeder, that can be a hard thing for people sometimes to wrap their heads around. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, crew. Embark is really, really committed to providing a resource for responsible breeders and purebred dog enthusiasts. And we know these are tough times. And to help serve breeders right now, when we need it, starting in April, Embark is going to reduce its prices significantly through a series of sales and programs to help make the DNA testing even more accessible for everybody. So stop by, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders, or hop onto their Embark for Breeders Facebook page and take a look at what they have on offer. As always, Embark's leading DNA test kits provide a comprehensive assessment 
of your dog's genetic health, genetic diversity, and physical traits. And I can tell you, I just got back the two Embark tests that I had done on my own dogs, and it was so cool, and I spent like half the day clicking through all the fun stuff. So stop by the Pure Dog Talk website and click the Embark logo on the homepage and take a look at what they have on offer. So talk to us about that and talk to us about, you know, you listen to the podcast, so you know, I've talked to commercial kennel people. I have talked to Bill Shelton. I have talked to Dale Martinson. I have talked to Patty. All of this trying to kind of open up a dialogue, right? That's my job, media. Let's open a dialogue. Let's talk about this. So let's talk about the concept of 9 million replacement dogs a year and which one of us hobby breeders thinks we're going to be able to swing that. Exactly. I don't want to produce any more puppies than I already do. I struggle with what I've got, man. I'm doing the best I can, but still. Yeah, exactly. And so one of the things that I realized as I was going into Avidog, so seven, eight years ago, mm-hmm. that I love dogs. I just love dogs. Right. And I love good dogs. And I love to see people with dogs they adore who fit with them that add to their lives. And so I had also been in Germany, I think, at a critical time where there were breeds that were being created that we now accept mm-hmm. as purebred, but their purebred beginnings are within my lifetime. Right. And they were, at that point in time, mixed breeds. Mm -hmm. They were just putting breeds together. And so you look at the Czechoslovakian Vlach, you look at the Tamascan, those are recent breeds. And even if they had ancient strands of their family, those strands have been dissipated a lot over the years. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar with Ray Coppinger. He subsequently passed away, but he was a yes. ethologist. Mm-hmm. And he really introduced to me through his seminars and through contact with him, this understanding that our breeds are far less pure than we think they are. And we accept that. But now when new breeds come along that may fill a different niche, Mm -hmm. that bothers us. And I'm a sociologist by training. Mm -hmm. All that is a sociology. That's just human behavior to have the ins and the outs. But I realized, I strongly believe we cannot fight animal rights if we divide each other. And boy, we're good at dividing. That's the part that I focus on to me, just from what I have been able to pull together. That piece to me, there's got to be a bigger voice. Yes, absolutely. And I think that voice needs to be young, technologically Mm -hmm. sophisticated, Mm -hmm. and able to make enough money to fight for us. Mm -hmm. So we live, you and I, in the world that we live in, in purebred dogs, making money is an anathema. Mm -hmm. It's the lowest of the low. Mm Mm-hmm. And that has not gotten us to a very good place in defending our right to breed. Nope. And so I think it's really important for us to shed that value. Well, and if you listen to Dale Martinson last month, that's what we talked about. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's critical because I think what we did when we were attacked by the animal rights people is we said, 
oh, we don't make money doing this. Right. That became our defense. That became our value so we could Mm -hmm. defend. Mm -hmm. In doing that, if you think about it, that sets us up for failure on so many levels. One, it costs a lot of money to raise good puppies. Yep. And so if we don't have the money to do our job well, now we're opening ourselves up to attack from that perspective. And we didn't have the confidence or we didn't have the backing or we didn't have the organization to say, hey, you know, Mercedes makes a really nice car. It's not that you can't make money and do a great job. You can do both of those things. But if you make a puppy into a commodity where one's the same as the other, now you're going to run into a problem. So I think that value is one we have to overcome. And then we have got to figure out a way to open our eyes to what's changed in the world. Mm-hmm. So I, of course, you know, I'm a Golden Retriever Club of America member for at least 108 years, maybe, <laughs> maybe 109. Back <laughs> since Davy Crockett was a boy. Yes, exactly. exactly. And so we have our, you know, we will not breed our Goldens to poodles and we will not mm-hmm. produce Golden Doodles. And then probably about six years ago, I was walking through Manhattan. We were staying with friends and I was walking down the street and I'm not kidding you, Laura. I didn't see any other breed but yeah. golden doodles and labradoodles. Yeah. And so I started saying, that battle's passed. Right. It's over. It's done with. We have got to stop fighting a battle that I don't want to say we lost because I don't really feel that way. But it's over and done with. And so when we talk to people and we talk to James Q. Public, as you started the conversation, Mm -hmm. they look at us like we're nuts. They don't understand what we're saying. Right. And it's completely irrelevant to them. And so our most important people, our buyers, think we're a little crazy to be talking about something that's completely irrelevant and makes no sense to anyone else in the world. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting perspective. I really like bringing these sorts of challenging conversations for people. And I think that if we can educate the buyer, educate the breeder, and I worked full-time as a pet groomer for a while, I am relatively certain that I personally created the Golden Doodle Trim, which is a 40 kennel with a one-inch flag, half-inch ear tassels, and a pencil-thin mustache. Right. Because no one will tell these poor people that you have to flip and brush the dog. And the combination of hair and fur felts. (laughs) And I have no option. There is no brush it out. I have no option but to take this poor dog down in basically a surgical clip. And so that is a place, that's where like I go, ah, right? Like that's my choke point. And so those kinds of things, I think, are solvable with education. I agree. I totally agree. So I'll take a step back and say, I so agree that grooming and care is something we don't talk about enough. Mm-hmm. But I would say a lot of us don't. Exactly. Mixed breed, purebred, we don't. Exactly. And that beautiful little Maltese you see in the ring... <laughs> At Westminster, it's right. not the Maltese that's going to be in your house. Well, and Seba, the beautiful standard poodle that just went best in show at the garden. You know, <laughs> I, know I mean, that's so stunning, oh. but that's six hours, people. Trust me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. 
And so I agree. I think finding a way to be honest while still sharing the beauty of each breed and each combination, but being honest of the care. Honest. Yep. You know, my dogs, I mean, I wrote 10 Reasons Why You Don't Want a Golden Retriever, and that book's published on my website Mm -hmm. because people get them and they're like, oh, you know, they're really dirty. (laughs) Not that they shed. They know they're going to shed, but, you know, mud and golden retrievers are a match made in heaven. And so... That kind of honesty, I think, is really important to all of us because all of our breeds and breed combinations have tremendous value and benefits each in their own way, but they have value and benefit to the right people, not to the wrong ones. Best fit for your family. What is the best fit for your family, I think, is an excellent solution, right? Like, think about... I raised German wire hair pointers. Guess what? Most of your golden retriever people don't want one. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and most of my German wire hair pointer people really don't want a golden. Exactly. And there's a reason. And so I think education, not downing your breed or over simplifying your breed, but simply educating. If you want a super intense, super tough minded physically super busy dog that will do everything attached to your hip. Okay, we'll talk about a wire hair pointer. If you want a, now fill in the blanks for golden retriever, then we can talk about that, right? I mean, that I think is the type of education I'm talking about. Well, that's interesting you say that because that's where I started with Good Dog. Yes. So I said how bad their website was at the beginning. Well, that was a front for the website that they were building because Mm -hmm. they're amazingly tech savvy. But they needed to put something up as a placeholder. So Mm -hmm. behind it, they were building this amazing site. Mm -hmm. And we talked about how to make it different for the buyer. So my main focus is breeder side. But one of the things I said is, when you typically go to these puppy finder sites, what do you do? You put in size and color Mm -hmm. and shedding and exercise. And that's it then you get the array of breeds. So let's say you would like 50 to 60 pound active sporting breed. You don't care about color. And what pops up? Both the German wire hair pointer and the golden retriever. Yes, which is so wrong. Well, <laughs> it's so wrong. It's so wrong. <laughs> and so finding a way to guide people in a more sophisticated way, in a way that you understand and I understand. The buyer doesn't understand. Right. They don't know because they think of them as cars that just come in different colors and colors. Yes. But it's the same car underneath. But those of us who breed know that those cars are very, very different. There's a whole big difference between a Maserati and a Volkswagen Beetle. (laughs) Even if they're the same color and about the same size. Exactly. They can still only carry two passengers, but... (laughs) (laughs) So helping develop that side of the site and a more sophisticated funnel to guide buyers Personally, I think one of the worst questions we can start with with buyers is what breed do you want? Oh, absolutely. Because they don't know. Yeah. Unless they're really sophisticated. Then there are sophisticated buyers out there. But Mm -hmm. the vast majority of buyers aren't. And so finding a way to guide them 
to the German wire hair pointer versus the golden and what questions you ask yes. is really important. So let's just go back to Good Dog for a second. When I look at what Good Dog can offer, I feel that the sky is the limit for them because of their ability to take technology Mm -hmm. and guide both people looking for dogs and breeders Mm -hmm. and match so that the breeders are getting people that they want Mm -hmm. and they're not spending a lot of time on people that they don't want, you know, Mm -hmm. that don't fit with their dogs. Right. And buyers are guided to the kind of dog that they're going to thrive with. And then obviously, I don't know whether you've joined Good Dog or not, but the breeder back end is really where I'm most excited in developing tools to help breeders not just stay in touch with their buyers, but that in itself is really a gift these days, Mm -hmm. but to track dogs, track heat cycles, track breedings, puppy weights, when to supplement. There's so much technical sophistication there that I can't do. You know, in Avidog, I'll give you a spreadsheet. Right. And that's about the best technologically (laughs) I know how to do. Well, here's another one that I think is interesting. I've poked around at several of these and AKC Marketplace. And, you know, I've looked at a variety of different things. And my big thing is we need to, as dog breeders, do a better job reaching John Q. Public. How do we do that? What's our method? Pick one, to me, is not all that critical, except that we do the education, that we do the education of the buyer and the education of the breeder, and that we have a way to sort of monitor the breeder, right? So if you say good dog breeder, And I know that they have protocols in place and all of that stuff, but maybe you could just kind of touch on that for a minute. That is, you know, how does John Q. Public coming into, or how does Jane K. Breeder, who wants to advertise or offer their puppies on this service, how do they know they are next to other people, other breeders that they feel are doing a quality job? Like, what's that quality control piece? That is a work in progress that Mm -hmm. since November really was the initial launch Mm -hmm. that has been so dynamic, it's hard to keep up with. So when Good Dog started, they first just needed breeders on the site so that they could begin to learn from what was happening. So Mm -hmm. they didn't just take anybody. People had to say they did OFAs and Mm -hmm. people had to say that they matched, but it was breeders saying that that's what they did. And if you think about it, the Good Dog team, when they started, were buyers. They were John Q. Public. Right. Exactly. Interesting point. It is. I mean, they were people looking for dogs and they realized, gosh, this is really hard to find a dog. Maybe we could help. Mm -hmm. And thinking, how hard could this be? So in their minds, labs came in six colors, (laughs) yellow, black, chocolate, silver, charcoal. Oh, I know. Well, let's just put it on the table. They had no way of knowing that that was a bear trap, not Mm -hmm. a booby trap, but a bear trap. They had no way of knowing because if you go online, there's silver labs and there's yellow labs and there's chocolate labs. And it was only once they put up the first standards, which were, I think, in October, and they started getting feedback. Now, most of that feedback was people screaming at them. (laughs) But they, I think, did a pretty good job realizing, holy cow, this is a lot more complicated than we originally realized. 
So since October, so what is it, March? It's been five months. They have set health standards for breeders in 200 breeds. <laughs> Three levels of standards, good, great, and excellent. Mm-hmm. No one else has ever done this. There's no other organization that has tried to do this across breeds. There's mm-hmm. national breed clubs, right. but the vast majority of national breed clubs set one standard, which is typically considered the excellent, the highest level. Right. And one of the things that Good Dog has been committed to, and I'm really committed to, obviously, in Avidog, is developing breeders and mm-hmm. moving breeders to be better. How do we make them better? Well, and we talk about that, right? Like we need more breeders. And right. that's, again, that comes from the education that I've gotten myself in the last few years, like from Patty Strand and from Bill Shelton and all this. We need people breeding dogs. So if we have people who are interested in breeding dogs and doing it, perhaps not to the level we would like to see, what's better, run them out or raise them up? Exactly. So I'm a raiser up. Yep. And I'm a great believer in that saying that if you know better, you do better. Yep. But they have to know better. So if they're on a farm in Nebraska and they have a really nice Labrador and their neighbor has a really nice Labrador and they breed them together and, you know, their vet said, hey, you should do hip x-rays. So they do hip x-rays. They don't know anything about genetic testing. They don't know about eye testing. And if we yell at them and we tell them what horrible people they are, they're going to go underground and they're not going to engage with us. And so it was definitely discussed. There were discussions in Good Dog about establishing that good level. Mm -hmm. And I know it is not something that a lot of purebred dog breeders or what I would call the most sophisticated breeders. Hobby breeders, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, are fans of, but you're right. Where are we going to get 9 million dogs that aren't coming from Turkey and China? Exactly. And so we have to find a way to engage people more in producing quality pet dogs. The hobby breeders are going to continue in their sport and they're going to continue to get championships and things like that. But we need more people who are trying to produce lovely pets. Mm -hmm. That is the market. Healthy, Healthy, lovely pets. Mentally stable. Yes. Trainable. Yes. Have some longevity. Yes. So those are the criteria that people have for their pets. And Mm -hmm. so how do we find those breeders, develop those breeders, lift those breeders up Mm -hmm. so we can keep playing the games that we love to play because we're not going to be able to in my opinion, if we don't change something. And the laws, the legislatures, the government, the animal rights activists will be more, they're pretty successful now Mm -hmm. with Adopt Don't Shop. We have got to find a way to fight them. Right. This was my decision in going into it. Right. So I'm okay with the good breeders, good being the good health level. Correct. And in many cases in Good Dog right now, If you're a good level breeder, you have a year to add, to improve, to evaluate your breeding stock better. And at the end of that year, say you have to have added eyes or you have to have added EIC Mm -hmm. or one of the other tests. And then now you get to be a great breeder. And now to become an excellent breeder, you have to add three more tests. Okay. That's an interesting thing I hadn't seen. Yeah. And so there are these hurdles that you have to go through on the website. 
you have a label on what level you are, whether you're good, whether you're great, whether you're excellent. Mm -hmm. And now I won't say it's not quite done. I would say by the, the end of March, obviously dilutes across breeds and merles across mm -hmm. breeds mm -hmm. and non-standard colors mm -hmm. have been three really big hurdles that even the purebred dog community, right. because when you think about it to the rest of the world, okay, Weimaraners are dilute. That's a good thing. Mm -hmm. But Labradors that are dilute that's a bad a thing. terrible thing. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. And that's hard. And I get that it's that's hard. hard. It's hard and it's confusing. And honestly, those Labradors are AKC registered. They're purebred dogs. And so we have to take a step back, I think, and realize how complicated our world is and how unobvious it is to even smart people that aren't engaged with us mm -hmm. and help people understand. And honestly, for us too, to distinguish what really is important and what isn't important and why is it important. So we've gone through and identified which breeds can have dilute genes and which can't, which must have dilute testing mm -hmm. and which don't have to. And if you don't have to, or you choose not to do it, then you cannot be a standard mm -hmm. breeder in that breed. Mm -hmm. colors, and then obviously merles are, are a huge issue. Interesting. So that, I think, will be out by the end of March. Mm -hmm. Then there is the coaching that goes on from good dog to coach. How do you find eye clinics? So they're helping breeders find eye clinics and find cardiologists. Those are the two biggest challenges for breeders in many areas of the country. Very interesting. Good. Well, and I think just in closing, sort of wrapping it up, I think that education, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back to education. It is my thing. It is what I believe in. And any time, any way, any place, any method that we can educate, educate the public, educate breeders, good breeders want to be breeders, you know, I mean, yeah. I believe that part of what I do here at Pure Dog Talk is educate already smart breeders and bring them more information. So why would I frown on trying to give more information to someone who doesn't have as much yet as I do, right? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. No, I'm with you on that. We stand together. Avidog is all about breeder education, making breeders just more informed so they can do what they do better, better. Mm -hmm. having more puppies, healthier puppies, more breedings. You know, if we can't get puppies, we can't do a better job. So right. I am right. all in on that. And then Excellent. obviously I think the next year for Good Dog will be educating buyers. Yeah. And really focusing on the buyer side. But they've been trying to flesh out the breeder side right. as best they can. Very cool. Very, very cool. Yeah. Well, Gail, thank you so much for your time as always. I adore visiting with you. You just make me happy. So. <laughs> It's always a delight, Laura. It really is. And I'll have a coupon for Pure Dog Talk listeners. We had one last time. Yes. If you'll put that on the page, that would be terrific. Absolutely. You ship that out. That will go up for sure. I will do that. And I have to tell you, you know, it's not the most sophisticated class, but photographing your puppies class is so amazing. I know. Isn't that it's fun? It's so amazing. 
I learned things I had no idea. Right. Sleep cycles of puppies and how that right. makes it so you can photograph them. Right. It's like, ah. I know. No one ever told me that. <laughs> I just did a photo shoot for a litter of Spinoni puppies at the ocean. Oh. Oh, my God. Oh. So cute. I love it. It was awesome. I love it. All right, Gail, you have yourself a great day, darling. Thanks, Laura. Wonderful to talk to you. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.